Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want you to think about something with me, if you would. Acts chapter 4, you're looking at verse 32 at the end of the chapter. I want you to think about this with me. Sacrifice establishes our awareness of something greater than ourselves. Think about that for a second. Sacrifices establish, establishes our awareness of something that is greater than ourselves. If you sacrifice, say if you were to sacrifice money to sponsor a child in Africa, uh, you would be sacrificing so that another human being can have a better life, okay? So that is greater than your personal self, okay? Does that that make sense to everybody? That is something greater than you. Uh, If you were to volunteer your time to help out, uh, I know we have some ladies that help out at a soup kitchen on Thursday nights, but if you were to do that or volunteer for big brothers, big sisters, or to give your time to something, you are doing something and you're sacrificing your time to help other people. Again, that's that's something that's greater than you are. Here's maybe something that will apply to all of us. When we have a family, We are sacrificing our time, energy, and resources to see something progress further than our lifetime. Our children, uh, hopefully, will outlive you, and they will produce children of their own, and and your, your lifetime will not be the end of you. And so it's something greater than yourself. So sacrifice establishes our awareness of something that's greater than ourselves. I looked up the term sacrifice in Webster's Dictionary. It says, destruction or surrender of anything. Destruction or surrender of anything for the sake of something else. For the sake of something else. A devotion of some desirable object in behalf of a higher object or to claim deemed more pressing. So something more pressing. We will sacrifice for those things. And nobody likes sermons on sacrifice. Yet here's where we find ourselves. So Acts chapter 4, in verse 32, if you would, with me. We finished last week with verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So if I had challenged people last week to pray uh, for the next 66 days about having boldness for God, and that God would do something great uh, through us because He can, and so I hope you've done that. Today is day 7. Hope you've continued to do that if you've committed to that. Verse 32, the Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the uh, prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he hath need. Verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, A Unified Sacrifice. A Unified Sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. 
Father, I pray that this message would be used of you, Father, and every person that, that sits here or stands here this morning, or excuse me, this evening. And Father, that your will would be done. Father, I pray that every one of us, myself included, would have ears to hear what you're trying to say through your word. And Father, that we would be a unified church that sacrifices for you. Father, we love you. Thank you for sacrificing all that you have for us. And Father, thank you for the opportunity to love you and to serve you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A unified sacrifice. Before we really delve into this, I want to ask you a question. Why do you think, now you know where you are, you understand your thoughts, you understand uh, your actions, you understand who you are, at least I hope you do, but in this case, think about you in being in this case. Why would this church, the, the first church, why would they be so eager and so willing to sacrifice? Think about it. Why in the world would they be so eager and so willing to sacrifice? It's, it's in, if, again, if you were paying attention to the passage, there's, they're, they're willingly giving these things. They're willingly turning these things over. Why? Why are they doing that? I want to take just a little bit of time and try, try to maybe answer that question for you. If you'd go to Mark chapter 10 with me. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 17, Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. We'll read a lengthy portion of Scripture here, but I hope it will bring to light some things. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, watch this, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Do you think this has anything to do with our passage? Absolutely. Go, sell all that thou hast, that you, and take up thy cross, and follow me. Verse 22, and he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved. Why? For he had great possessions. The story continues, though, and Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they, again, were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And honestly, if you think about our North American society, we would much say the same thing. It's so hard for people who have riches and who, who, are, who are living a good life to come to know Christ because they don't realize their need of salvation. Verse 27, And Jesus looking upon them said, saith, excuse me, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible, and the great old Peter pipes up. 
Look what Peter says. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So he says, listen, we've done exactly what you just told this guy to do. Okay? We've done it all. What shall we receive, basically? He's saying, verse 29, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, notice that, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, watch this, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. Watch this, verse 30. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. If you'll allow me to connect these two, I believe they're very much connected. He's talking to his disciples, and this is who we see talking here in Acts chapter 4. And so why on earth would they be so eager to sell their houses, to sell their lands, and to give to the poor? Perhaps it's because of this passage right here. Perhaps it's because a rich man came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Go thy way and sell all that thou hast and follow me. And he didn't. And Peter says, listen, we've done that. And that's good, and that's wonderful, and that's great. But the thing that I want you to notice was God, is what God says there in verse 30. But he shall receive an hundredfold. Listen, whatever you give up, whatever you sacrifice, God says you will get a hundredfold. You will get a hundredfold. You may never see it in this lifetime. I believe he's talking about the kingdom of heaven that comes in this time. Now, in this time, you shall receive a hundredfold houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life i believe that when we get to heaven we will see a hundredfold more than what we sacrificed here on earth and so listen if you will put yourself in their situation and think man i want to sacrifice jesus i heard it from his own mouth he said if we will give up houses lands brothers sisters and so on and so forth we will see, receive a hundredfold reward Man, that's exciting. So perhaps this is why they're doing this. Perhaps this is why they are so eager and so willing to sacrifice. The fact of the matter here is that they are unified as well. And so it wasn't just Peter standing up. If you'll go back to our passage, Acts chapter 4, look at verse uh, 31. Acts chapter 4, look at verse, excuse me, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You see, they're unified. Write this down if you would. Unity multiplies efforts. Unity multiplies efforts. Listen, if I am doing something by myself and somebody comes along and helps me with that, they've not just added to my efforts, they've multiplied my efforts. The term is called synergy, and I, we, we talked about this a little bit back in the beginning when we started looking at acts of, of two horses that could pull uh, three times the weight of what one horse could do. It's called synergy. It's, it's multiplying your efforts. Unity is so important, and especially here, they're a unified sacrifice. I want to make to you tonight three statements about sacrifice. Three statements about sacrifice. Number one, sacrifice humbles the giver. Sacrifice humbles the giver. Would you look with me again at verse 32? We read this first part again. We're of one heart and of one soul. Watch this. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. 
but they had all things common. You see, most of us are plagued with the that is mine syndrome. We learn it as little children. Zoe, for quite some time now, has been saying mine. Mine could be her blanket or her yogurt or whatever it may be. And I, as a loving, non-contentious father, don't hold those things from her ever. Don't ever want her to think that she can't have what she wants. I'm lying. I hold those things and then she goes nuts. I forget what it even was. Do you remember what it was the other day? That I, was, I think it was her blanket. I was keeping it from her and I started running around the house and she just stopped and cried. Just bawled. Yeah, I am mean. You're right. My wife was like, you just give it to her. Why do you have to pester her? I don't know. <laughs> you see, though, as children, they learn it, and we think, you know, oh, it's not a big deal. But here's the problem. We learn these that's mine syndrome from as little children, though the tone may change, though we may not stand in the middle of our living room and cry, the attitude is often still there. The attitude of that's mine is often still in our lives. Listen, you go to somebody's car and bump into it with your car, and you'll see how much that is mine attitude still exists. I'm just telling you. You think that's mine. Let somebody spill something in your car, your brand new car. What are you going to do? I know what I would do. I get upset. That's mine. What are you doing? Why are you destroying what is mine? Listen, we, we still have this attitude. It may not come across in the same tone, but we still have the attitude. These people here in the book of Acts chapter 4, they give up what, they, what was recognized as theirs. Their homes, their lands. And you know what they did? They gave it to be used. In fact, I love the, the verbiage that the Bible uses. Uh, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. Listen, I own an iPad. This is not mine. I bought it. I pay, actually, my wife bought it for me and paid for it. Listen, it's not mine. That, that's what they're saying. Listen, though in all reality it makes sense that it's mine, it's not mine. I don't even think about it as being mine. And that's the position they're in. They're humble. Most of us are proud and say, listen, I'm going to hoard this and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to do the things that I want to do with my stuff. But not these people. They said it doesn't matter what it is, it's not even ours. If it can be used for some other purpose, then so be it. We will use it for some other purpose. I believe this is the essence of humility. When people will take what they have and give it to be used. When they take their riches and give it to the poor. And when they take what they have and give it to those people who need it, Jesus was much the same way. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, the Bible says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, watch this, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. 
and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was God the Son. And he came down from heaven to give himself. You see, he was almighty God. He was way up here. You, you can't even fathom who he is. And he humbled himself and became in the form of a man. He humbled himself. And you know what he did? He gave himself. Gave himself. Sacrificed, literally as the lady sang about, sacrificed himself as a lamb. You see, that's the, that's the essence of sacrifice. That's the essence of humility, is the fact that sacrifice humbles the giver. That's not a bad place to be. We talked a little bit about that this morning. The humility that should happen in our lives, but so often we hold on to things. When we hoard and keep everything for ourselves, I believe this, we are proud and we are self-centered and we are not able to see beyond ourselves. When we hoard things to ourselves... And keep everything. We are proud, self-centered, and not able to see beyond ourselves. But there is something much bigger out there for us to partake in. Something bigger than us. Look at number two with me, if you would. The second statement. Number second statement is this. Sacrifice benefits the people around us. Again, this is not rocket science. This is not something that uh, uh, sh- you're struggling to attain to. When you sacrifice, you are helping someone around you. Look at verse 34 of our passage. The Bible says, Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And then distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So listen, if you were to put it in modern day society, you would bring whatever you sold, you would bring it to the pastoral staff and I believe probably the directors as well and they would take that and they, we would find people who have need in our church and we begin to take that money and distribute it to those people and buy them food and help them find a place to have a roof over their head for the night and, and all of these different things. So if we were to put it in modern day society, that's what would be happening here. And so they're beginning, sacrificing benefits the people around us. I want you to go to Galatians chapter 6 with me, if you would. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 7 with me. The Bible says this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, to yourselves shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Verse 10. And as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And so listen, you can sow to your flesh, you can do what you want, you can put your money out and say, listen, I want to return so that I can take more money and I can do what I want to do with it. Or you can take that money and 
put it into something else or into someone else. The Bible says here in verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, when we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those because sacrificing will help and benefit the people around us. Let's face it. If sacrificing only changed our attitude, think about this, if sacrificing only changed our attitude and humbled us, would that not be a great benefit to those people around us? I like being around humble people. I really don't, and maybe you don't like being around me because I'm proud at times, but I don't really like being around proud people. So if we just were changed, our attitude was just changed. That would help people around us. But listen, there's so much more to this. These people here in Acts chapter 4 are giving because there were people that did not have. They were giving because there were people that did not have. I believe this is the epitome of socialism. Most Americans do not like that term. But you know what? The Bible is very clear. That if you see somebody that hath need, you should give to them. This is, um, and to be honest, I'm not advocating for socialism. I'm just saying that godly people help other people out of their excess. Listen, I, I've got extra of this. Let me help you. Godly people help people out of their excess. And you know what? Godly people receive from other people because of their need. You see, if somebody godly is giving to somebody godly, note this, nobody will take advantage of any other person. And so this is, this is exactly what's happening. They're walking with God. They're spending time with God. They want to know God. They, they feel the power of God on their lives. They're, they're asking for boldness and they're praying and, and they're spending time unified as a group. And they realize, hey, somebody's got a need over here. Well, I can fulfill that need. Somebody's got a need over here. Not, well, let me take care of that need. And, and some people start passing those things around. And those people that are receiving are praising God and saying, God is great. God is good. He's provided for my needs again through someone else. It's a beautiful picture. It helps people around us, but it never happens if people don't sacrifice. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and we begin seeing people in their physical and even spiritual need, I believe we begin to be more aware that we may have what it takes to fulfill their need. I think half the time we do this. I don't really want to see that. I don't really want to see that person's need. I don't really want to know what's going on. And we turn a blind eye to it and say, listen, I don't want that. I, don't, I know that I can help that person, but I don't want to see their need. And we close our eyes to it. I'm going to take you to a passage, 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Verse 16, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He had laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his 
seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, so often we can talk the talk. So often we can even maybe perform somewhat of an action. But so often we have what it takes to fulfill someone else's need. So often we have what it takes that, that maybe even their spiritual need. Listen, get this. We talked last week about having boldness. We can see somebody's spiritual need. And folks, sitting here tonight, I believe every one of us has the power, the, the ability to be able to give that person what they need, yet we withhold. We shut up our bowels and we think, well, maybe they'll get mad if I talk to them about it. Well, maybe they'll be upset if I give them that because then they'll, they'll, they'll be humbled or their pride will be hurt. Listen, and we don't do it. I believe it happens day in and day out. We never sacrifice to benefit those people around us. Again, the problem is not that we don't see it. The problem is that we turn a blind eye to it. Because when we turn a blind eye to it or if we see it, then we might have to have compassion on them. And then we might feel obligated to do something for them. And I believe this idea has permeated churches, even our church. The idea that, listen, I don't want to have to overextend myself for any reason. I'll overextend for my kids, and I'll overextend for my family, or I'll overextend for some one of my close friends, but no, I'm not going to overextend for everybody. Listen, I'm, I'm in the same boat you are. I'm preaching to myself. I've had to talk to the Lord about this in my own life. But I believe this idea has kept us from sacrificing. And this idea has kept us in a selfish mood. You say, you say listen, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not, just because I'm not seeing a certain need doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. And listen, I may be able to rationalize that with you. But here's the fact. It's developed an attitude in us of hoarding and keeping what we have. So some of you, I hope, are thinking this, because I wrote it down and figuring somebody would think that, because this is what I would think. So what am I supposed to do? Put myself in the poorhouse so that somebody else can be rich? What am I supposed to do? Overextend so that I'm living out of a cardboard box so that somebody else can live in a house? What is that what I'm supposed to do? Obviously, Acts chapter 4, they sold houses and lands. I have no idea if it was extra houses and extra lands. I don't know. I do know this. I'm not asking everybody in here tonight to go out and sell their homes and live out of a cardboard box and help everybody. That's not what I'm asking. And I don't believe that's what God is asking. But I think we need to establish that it's not my job to tell you what to sacrifice. I believe it's the will of God that tonight we have an attitude of sacrifice. 
Because I believe that the apostles weren't saying, hey, listen, everybody, you guys go sell all your houses, all your lands, you just go do it. Go sell everything that you have. I don't believe that. I believe God was convicting hearts, saying, listen, I want you to sacrifice for me. I want you to give to me. And they began to wonder and pray, God, what will you have me sacrifice? And God began to lay it on their house, hearts, houses and lands and whatever else you can sell, just do it for whatever reason. Listen, I don't know what the reasons are other than the spread of the gospel. That's all I know. My challenge tonight is this. Would you have an attitude of sacrifice? So that when God, listen, when God asks you, you'll be ready. We've been talking about Noah in our Connect classes. Noah had to sacrifice 120 years of his life. Sacrifice uh, 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 being made fun of. Sacrifice maybe being questioned of his family. Sacrifice all kinds of things just so that God could bring a flood on the earth and wipe out all of mankind. But you know what? It didn't just happen overnight. He had prepared time and time and time and time again, day after 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 day, until one day God said, listen, I want you to sacrifice. And he says, okay. He was ready internally for it. And so tonight my challenge to you is that, will you have an attitude of sacrifice? When you have an attitude of sacrifice, God will instruct you as to what he wants you to sacrifice. Listen, I can stand up here all day long and tell you all the needs that we have as a church and ask you to really sacrifice for those things. But listen, it needs to be God talking to you. And I'll stand here and there'll be times when I'll put a call out for some things that we have need of. But listen, God has to convict you. It's got to be of God because, listen, if it's not of God, then you will quit. You will give it up. It's not worth it. I don't want to sacrifice. There are so many important things to sacrifice for in this world. Things that will humble you. Things that will be a great benefit to others. I mean, listen, helping a child in Africa is a great and noble cause. It will humble you and it will help people around you. Volunteering your time at, at, at the soup kitchen or something to that effect. Those are great things. Those things will humble you. And those things will benefit those people around you. But the most important and the most worthwhile thing to sacrifice for is God. The most important and most worthwhile thing to sacrifice for is God. I want to give you my third statement. Sacrifice smells sweet to God. So we've seen how it humbles us. We've seen how it helps other people. But it smells sweet to God. If you do a study all throughout the Old Testament, whenever there was a burnt offering, a burnt offering, it will say something to the effect of it being a sweet-smelling savor to God. It'll talk about burning incense, and that was a sweet-smelling savor to God. And they'll talk about burning the sacrifice and how that was a sweet-smelling savor to God. The sacrifice was a sweet-smelling savor. Another word for savor is odor. 
It smelled good to God. I want you to think about this with me. Sacrifice is the odor of love. Sacrifice is the odor of love. Listen, if I'm going to love my wife, I'm going to sacrifice for her. If I love my children, I'm going to sacrifice for them. And when I don't sacrifice, they don't feel the love. They may know it. Sacrifice is the odor, it's the smell of love. I want to take you to John chapter 12 and show you where I got that from. John chapter 12. Verse 1. John chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Verse 3. Then Mary took a, then Mary took, then took Mary, excuse me, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. There's no doubt in my mind that Mary sacrificed here. Something that was very costly. She, and, and Judas makes the argument, hey, how come we didn't sell that and give that to the poor? And if you look in the other passages, the other gospels, it says that this story should accompany the gospel wherever the gospel is preached. This is an important thing right here because Mary sacrificed for Christ because she loved him. And you know what? There was an odor involved. It was a sweet smelling savor to God. There is something else interesting about this sweet smelling savor. The majority of the time you see it, especially in the Old Testament, it's only when fire is involved. The burnt sacrifice. The burnt offering. You don't see it with the wave offering. You don't see it with the heave offering. You don't see it with the poor offering. You don't see that. You see it with the burnt offering. It does not appear in other places only when fire is involved. You see, I, see that I think this is very important. When you burn something, when it is burnt, there are no strings attached. You know when you put wood into the fire? You know what happens to it? It completely disintegrates. All you're left with is ashes. And so as you think of sacrifice, and you think of burning, there are no strings attached. I'm not getting anything back out of this. I'm giving it, and it's going to be gone forever. That's true sacrifice. And if you will, the Bible calls Jesus a sweet-smelling savor. You know why? Because he sacrificed. And you know what else he did? He went to hell and burned. 
It's an odor of sweet smell to God, the Bible says. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians. There are no strings attached. This is the type of sacrifice that I believe smells so good to God and tells Him we love Him. God, I want to sacrifice for you. No strings attached. It doesn't matter what it means to me. You mean more to me, and I'm going to give it. This type of sacrifice, this all-consuming, no-strings-attached type of sacrifice, compounded and multiplied by everyone being unified, begins to see God's work, begins to see people changed. And as you begin to see through, and we'll look in the rest of the book of Acts, you'll begin to see these people's sacrifice and God working, and people's lives being changed, and God working, and people's lives being changed, and God working, and people's lives being changed. This is the exact mission that God has called us to. This is it. Because sacrifice establishes our awareness of something greater than ourselves. Folks, again, I want to challenge you. Will you have an attitude of sacrifice so that when God calls and says listen I want you to sacrifice this you'll say here my Lord send me